need an Advil, maybe a second chance. Hey! Welcome to Stargate Second Chances, a walking through the Stargate podcast. I'm Zach. And I'm Brent. And this is episode four. Four, Brent. We're on four. Four. Where we are going to be talking about the 1994 Stargate movie. Yes, Yes. we are going to recap our pilot episode. I know. And true to form, I have not listened to our previous episode, but uh, some... Was it David? Somebody was listening to it, and apparently we were real... It it was a different show back then. It was a very different (laughs) show. Uh, Actually, Julie listened to it yesterday, and I know she took some notes, and she was going to bring me the notes, but she never brought me the notes. Uh, (laughs) Or maybe she did bring me the notes, and these are the notes. Let's see here. This is what we call good podcasting. This is great audio. Uh, Meanwhile, while you do that, I'm going to take myself, I'm going to take a sip of this fine Iowa mead here. Here Ah, yes. Yeah, I need to... You know, I got to... Mm. Yep, here we go. Mm. Mm, so good. Oh, that's mm, nice. Mm, mm. So I am drinking a ginger uh, snap mead. Mm, mm-hmm, it's got mm-hmm. uh, uh, flavors of ginger and brown sugar in that mead. It's kind of a, a dark color, um, but it's got some good flavor to it. Mm, 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 nice. Good, good. Got some uh, summerberry mead here. It's got flavors of berry and of... Um, summer in it and it's got a nice rosy hue it's delicious okay so i have the notes nice Uh, so i found them all right so we will check those out in a little bit yep uh brent we need to begin by saying thank you to our patreon supporters heck yeah uh you are the first listeners to this podcast uh, and you are the ones that we uh, that make this possible, that, that mm-hmm. vote for this. And mm-hmm. so thank you very much for all that you do to support us. I'm actually very humbled that we have people who are willing to give us money. I know. Rent. I know. Me too. Um, so thank you it's very bananas. much. Yes. Thank you. And it's a lot of fun to have people that like what we do. I mean, duh. Like, that's... Lots of people like it when people like things, like <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. It's nice. It's a great gesture. I see it. I am acknowledging it. It's thank you so much, and it really does mean a ton to me Absolutely. and to Zach. Yeah. So shall we dig into the movie here? Yeah. Uh, I just want to remind you that the director for the movie is Roland Emmerich, and the mm-hmm. screenplay was by uh, Dean Devlin and Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich. Uh, they worked together on that. The original mm-hmm. air date, the uh, uh, the <laughs> air date, uh, it, it opened in the theater on October yeah. 28, 1994. So yeah. let me do the math here. That's like 23 years ago as we talk about it right now, just about. Uh-huh. Um, on IMDb, uh, the rating for this movie is 7.1. No, it was 26 years ago. Seven. 27 years 27? ago. 27? Am I doing math wrong? I am doing math wrong. Yeah. It's <laughs> almost right. 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> th- thank you for helping me with my math. Uh. Anyway, uh, I'm sorry. What were you saying? okay. Oh, I was just saying the IMDb score is 7.1. Mm-hmm. The Rotten Tomatoes score is 53%. Metacritic gives it only a 42%. Mm-hmm. Um, so Metacritic did not like it, and Rotten Tomatoes really gives it kind of a middling grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, the budget for this movie was about $55 million, but they made almost $200 million on it. There you go. That's what you call a success. That is a success. And if it hadn't been for that success, we literally would not be doing this right now. 
Correct. We might be doing something else, but it wouldn't be this. That is a true statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be, if, if we were doing something else uh, and not this, because this didn't make money, then that would be an alternate reality. Yes. And we'll get back to that another time, yes. later on. All right, okay, fine. so, Brent. Yeah. What was the movie about? Ah, yeah, so... This is the one that uh, started it all, right? Um, mm-hmm. We got uh, a doorway to heaven. We've got a bespectacled, stammering genius. We got an Air Force colonel with a strong jaw. We've got French Stewart. We've got traveling across the known universe. We've got strong inferences that the parasites looked like greys. And we've got the fine tradition of solving our problems with explosives. What could be better? What could be better? So... Um, movie. So the, you know the the this is the this is big old story. We got the discovery of this Stargate thing, and uh, the connecting between uh, a girl that likes to pocket archaeological finds because she likes them, and an archaeologist uh, who has nothing left on Earth. Many years later, um, the this uh, uh, Catherine. What was it? What, Catherine what? Catherine something. Langford. Uh, Langford. Yeah. So Langford and uh, Jackson they go to a perfectly decommissioned missile silo. Uh, where uh, Richard Kind is there using Budge to imperfectly translate hieroglyphic writing. can't believe they still published this. But thankfully, <laughs> Daniel Jackson is there to get it right. So yeah. they let Jackson spend a couple of weeks working through something that probably could be solved with trial and error if they just ran through the different uh, symbols on the gate. But whatever. Uh, bingo, bango, bongo. The guy with the funny hat and the pencil in his mouth is out of a job, paving the way for Master Sergeant Walter Gerald Radar Harriman to look at the gate in astonishment when it connects to an mm-hmm. outgoing wormhole or an incoming wormhole. Yeah. This case, outgoing. So we send in a little clunky probe, and uh, it's quickly established that a proper reconnaissance team is needed to determine what is on the other side of the gate. But since they don't know how to dial the gate on the other side, they think it's impossible. But there's Daniel Jackson in the command room going, I can do it. I mean, Daniel Jackson has nothing left on Earth. So um, he's, uh, oh, yeah, I wrote a good joke. I missed it until Jackson, who has nothing left on Earth, Vol-lying tears. Get it? Volunteers? Ah, lying tears. Yep. You know, he's not lying. He's bad. just omitting certain truths. Okay. So, <laughs> the first Stargate team assembles on the ramp, and one by one, they go whooshing through a visual effect extravaganza that probably looked amazing in a dark theater in 1994. Mm-hmm. Now, on the other side of Unnamed Planet, they quickly discover that they are in a desert landscape with a gigantic pyramid nearly identical to those found on Earth. A small amount of dialogue later, and it's established that Jackson figured he did so, that he'd find some writing somewhere to give him the info that he needed to dial back home, but he's going to need to find it first. Mm, about that. Uh, so the team, they set up camp, yeah. and Jackson discovers that... Uh, you know, one thing... That I was noticing, Jackson discovers some of the only alien wildlife we have seen at all in the Stargate universe. <laughs> Very like, true. At all. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we got ourselves a fun romp over sand dunes and uh, Kowalski, O'Neill, and somebody else whose name I can't remember. Um, they give chase and they arrive at a mineral mine, interact with some locals, exchange gifts, 
Boney Way. And then they are assumed to be messengers of Ra because of the artifact stolen from Catherine 70 years prior. Now, celebrations then ensue. Offers of marriage happen. Forbidden writing is done. Forbidden reading is done. <gasps> awkward conversations. Fooling around with fire. Fooling around with guns. Getting yelled at about the guns. And don't forget the smokes. The, oh, yeah, the smokes. <laughs> <laughs> and also the like the beginnings of basically a full on rebellion. And it all happens in about 20 minutes of screen time. Like it's a bang really fast. Yep. Now, Jackson, once he's reunited with uh, team members, uh, after taking a look at some forbidding writing, forbidden writing, he discovers an important cartouche that looks exactly like the one that they had on Earth. And mm-hmm. as they're happily trying to get down to the symbols, they realize that the final symbol, the one that uh, establishes their current location, is missing. And again, you got six of the seven. You can just do six and then one, and then do six and then two, do six and then three, do six and then four. Also, also... There's only 39 symbols, so while it would take time, you could... Fixed, figure it out. You can figure it out. And also, the other thing is, like, all the symbols look like uh, uh, constellations, except for a few of these ones. Right? Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's a movie. It's not, it's not real life. Anyway, Ra arrives. Now, <gasps> oh. he's ticked off, right? Mm-hmm. So, apparently, the Stargate has a little sensor on it, and every time it goes off, Ra's are alerted to it. Like, beep, boop, beep, boop. Somebody's arriving on your unnamed planet, and Ra's like, that. Psh, not on my watch. Not on my watch, because in this particular story in the universe, though it is not established at all, it's insinuated that there is a gate and it goes from Earth to this place and from this place to Earth. The end. And he's like, you shouldn't be here. So uh, he decides to land on the on the pyramid. And that's great because that gave the miniatures team something to do because they had a good time with that one. It was a really cool. Indeed, little model. It did. It did. Yeah. There was actually some CG in that, too. Oh, was there in that one? Okay, nice. Oh, in, in the I landing? think when not the landing so much, but like when it was opening up and the sides were scrolling mm. down, there was some CG in that. Nice, gotcha. All right, well, so pyramid lands, and then there's an imbalanced firefight between Jaffa. Well, okay, we don't know who they are. Guards between guards and uh, the Air Force dudes that were left on camp, mm-hmm. and the Air Force dudes get imprisoned, and I can't remember the timeline because I, as I was writing this thing out, I'm like, you know, thing I can't remember the order, but Jackson figures out the seventh symbol and they hatch a plan to infiltrate because the bomb is going to get sent back with mineral and they just need to deliver the mineral with the caravan and the death gliders. And, oh no, we shouldn't have done this. Ah. So, um, Somehow in there we got uh, action hero time, right? We got the we got the fighting and we got the clever use of alien technology and the clever use of guns and bang bang bang. And then Jackson was like killed, right? But he get resuscitated for and Ra I think wanted to use him as a puppet, you know, like I really am really powerful. I will show you I'm powerful by demanding that you kill your friends in front of right. all. And then Jackson's all like, ha ha, no, because they've got friends and the friends got the guns. So, bang, Initial, uh, rebellion begins, and uh, let's see here, uh, war's on, right? So, but as things are happening, things are looking grim for our heroes, right? So, mm-hmm. Ra isn't exactly just mopping the floor with everybody, but he's definitely keeping the upper hand on things, that is for sure, especially when you got a pair of death gliders flying around. Um, but, uh, 
somehow the f- the pilots of the Death Gliders decide to act on the um, act, to act on the act of surrender uh, that uh, the holdout rebels have initiated. Uh, minus one heartbreaking tumble of a combat helmet. Mm. Uh, real sad. Yes. But but once the uh, guards get out of their Death Gliders. Uh, and start marching toward the surrendering uh, rebels, they are swiftly overtaken by a surprise attack of Kasuf and all the other locals. Now, mirroring the scenes of rebellion on Earth, Ra knows when it's time to leave, but not before O'Neill and Jackson begin a years-long partnership by sending up the bomb. Ra explodes. The gate now is open and Jackson has nothing left on earth so he decides to stay it's gonna be alright yeah the end the end awesome mm-hmm. so Brent mm-hmm. you have now watched the movie a second time uh-huh. and you have now seen well, it with at least a large chunk of SG-1 under your belt yeah. as a context uh, in which to review the thing that came up before yeah. So, what'd you think? This movie isn't really that good, is it? <laughs> like, it's definitely the foundation of a lot of cool stuff, right? Like, it's the reason why this television show even exists. Um, we are over halfway through the seasons of SG-1, and we have enjoyed the camaraderie of Jack O'Neill and Daniel Jackson. Uh, through almost all of it. And it starts here. It starts here in this movie. But Kurt Russell's acting was pretty darn wooden. And David Spader was definitely the highlight of the entire thing. Um, But, you know, only there's only so much that one person can do. And the story overall was fine. It was fine. But it also kind of felt like a mid-90s movie, right? Like, I mean, it kind of was... It didn't really have an awful lot of... I don't know, like, maybe texture is the word that's coming to mind. Like, it, it was just it was just a story, and it, it, it was very um, common in its structure. It was uncommon in uh, the particulars and the, 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 the flourish of the imaginative quality of story that would set the stage for other imaginative writers to then take it and make it go forward a little bit more. Mm. But as you were going through the, like the Metacritic uh, uh, ratings and the Rotten Tomatoes ratings, I was right. looking at it going, yeah, yeah, that's, that's about right. Like acting was okay. Um, there were definitely some moments of, of goodness here and there, but overall it just kind of was there. You know, Kurt Russell definitely looked like he was just taking a paycheck that day. Um <laughs> But, you know, he was playing a stoic, troubled Air Force colonel. Um, you know, how much uh, how much emotion do you need to actually put onto your face when that's your background role and you are also still echoing the uh, machismo archetype of, uh, you know, mid-90s man character? You know? I mean, so, like, I mean, I, I, on that regard... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kurt Russell was. I mean, we know that Kurt Russell is a pretty decent actor overall. Oh yes. Um, and so what we see here then is Kurt Russell playing this particular character, who is wooden and stoic, yes, that's fair. and all of those things. 
but it um, didn't it didn't materialize into um there's a different agreed and understood there is though a difference between playing a character that is wooden and stoic but in a way that lets the viewer know that there is a human underneath that mm. stoicism um and you know i mean like the the I think it was man. I, I think my criticism is kind of manifested in the way that Kurt Russell's O'Neill was engaging with. Oh my gosh, what's the kid's name? You know the kid Scara. that we see later, Scara. Um, where there's clearly some kind of a bond that's forming between the two of them, but mm-hmm. the amount of emotion that is being shown on Russell's face is not that convincing, and you know. It, it just kind of smacks of attaboy, which is not the worst, but it's not the best either, right? It's, it's just yeah. middling. It's just like, meh, yeah, fine. Yep, attaboy. Uh, you saved the day. Thanks for, thanks for having our back. Um, you know, or, you know, hey, it's kind of fun, uh, you know, wa- having you fawn over this lighter. Isn't that neato? Yeah, look at that. And then, yeah, go ahead and have, have a drag of a cigarette. Ah, yeah, it's funny. I should quit these things, dude. They're dumb. That is um, apparently but- the last cigarette that O'Neill ever has. I at least that we ever true. see. So that's true. Maybe he did quit right then. Maybe that's when he had his last cigarette. That could have been his very last cigarette. Wow. Yep. So yeah, I mean, like, so I was watching this, and um, I don't remember. I do remember that I was kind of enamored with how the set design was taking um, pop culture understanding of Egypt and infusing it into the story involving aliens and I thought that was kind of clever and neat mm-hmm. and um, you know when when I had made that observation I didn't know that season one Stargate was going to end up kind of playing that trope over and over again with a few different uh, ancient cultures uh, and then we've kind of stepped away from that largely since then which is great yeah. I'm, I'm glad we've stepped away from it um, but at the time it was kind of cool to see reimaginings of this ancient, uh, uh, visual style being employed in the context of an alien. And this time round, I just didn't seem to care as much. Um, maybe it's because, uh, I am enjoying the Stargate universe in the television show so much that, Though I can see the uh, the seeds of all of those ideas in the movie, they aren't the same ideas, mm-hmm. and the ideas were not trying to deliver on the same arcs that the television show later took. They were just trying to create a visual style within the construct of a movie that will work with the story, and that would be the end of it. Like you know, I I I suppose what I was seeing was a version of a Hatak attack vessel. Or I suppose whatever, but you know, I mean, it's a, it's a flying pyramid. But we've we've redefined what the flying pyramid looks like. True. And yep. so this flying pyramid is fine, and it does its thing, and it was neato, but it's not the same as the television show. And so as a result, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah sure, <laughs> it's a flying pyramid, great. And then you blow it out of the sky because that's what you do. Um. True. Yeah, so yeah. there was an awful lot about it, which I was just pleased to just kind of let roll by. Um, which, as I say that out loud, I'm kind of wondering, you know, like, I'm not sure if that's, I don't know if that's good, bad, or indifferent, but that's where I was. So, 
How many times, Zach, have you seen this movie? Oh, I have seen this movie definitively more than five times. Yeah. Uh, I know I watched it way back. Uh, I did not see it in the theater, um, Mm -hmm. but I did watch it shortly after it came out on video. Uh, which mm-hmm. would have been 94, 95, probably mm-hmm. mid, mm-hmm. mid, late 95, somewhere in there. Um, I have seen it at least twice prior to this project, and probably yep. more often than that. And then I've seen it now twice for Walking Through the Stargate. Yep. So yep. at least five times. Yep. Now, what about this last watch? <laughs> so what, uh, what did you think? So, you know, a little, little backstory about me. Um, when it comes to theater, when it comes to watching plays, especially, and musicals and such, mm-hmm. I enjoy a good comedy or whatever, but what I really like in when I'm sitting in the theater and watching live people doing live stuff, mm-hmm. uh, I really like to have meaty questions asked and talked about and wrestled with so that Mm -hmm. when I'm done, I walk away and I'm like, okay, so what was going on here and what was happening and what's, you know, and how does this, you know, how does this affect me and all of that stuff? Uh, So that's how I like my plays. When it Mm -hmm. comes to movies, I don't want that at all in my movies. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to sit down, eat my popcorn, drink my Coke, <laughs> and be entertained for two hours. I yes. want to sit back and let the roller coaster ride hit me and run up and down and around and through and zip it around. And when I get done, I'm like, okay, that was fun. Yeah. That's all I need from my movies. Mm-hmm. And this movie does that especially well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- this this is a movie that if you don't think too hard about the acting, you don't think too hard about the plot, the plot holds together for the most part. Yeah, uh, sure does. I mean, there are certain things that you, if you really start thinking about, you can like, uh, what, huh? you know, you think too hard about the acting, yeah. again, the same. Um, uh, but you just sit down and, and it's a fun ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that regard... Uh, especially this last time, I enjoyed it. I sat down on the couch. I had all of the lights out. It was sufficiently uh, late in the evening that the sun was mm-hmm. going down, so it was mostly dark in the room. Um, and, and it just felt nice. I mean, it was good. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, all of the complaints or critiques that you just mentioned there are legitimate, and I wouldn't, for the life of me, even begin to suggest that they're not there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also got to sit down and just have some fun for two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there were a couple of times where I was tempted to look at my phone, but not too much. <laughs> um, so, you know, it, and also one of the things that I did this time is that I watched all of the uh, special features on the Blu-ray yeah. prior to actually watching the movie. Oh, okay. Um, so I watched the the special features about how things were made, um, and you know some of the special effects and and all those types of things, and and 
and uh, the the background. So this is filmed in Yuma, Arizona, or just outside Yuma, Arizona, mm-hmm. in the middle of the summer when it was like 120 degrees outside. But they had to do it at that point in time because if they waited later in the year to film when it was cooler, then they would be dealing with all of the you know dune buggies that are running around, and that would just be no oh. good. Yeah. Uh, and so they were talking about how all of the actors were drinking like five gallons of water a day on average, yeah. and and not using the bathroom because they were just sweating it out that bad. And yep. even then, people were passing out. They had hundreds and hundreds of extras, and on day one they would show up, and on day two some of them wouldn't show up because day one was so grueling. They're like, I yeah. don't need this. Mm-hmm. Um, then you know the uh, the. Uh, throne room for the lack of a better room a better Mm -hmm. term for for raw what had a it was a giant set it was built in the spruce goose hangar oh neat which and these these uh, sets were like five or six stories tall yeah um but the floor was made out of something that uh unless they were actively filming you had to wear special booties so you didn't accidentally scratch it and mess it up Uh And the actors, like, in the evenings after they stopped, they would have, like, decorate your own, you know, footwear competitions. (laughs) Which is is just delightful to hear that they were having fun. And, And Kurt Russell actually said to Dean Devlin at one point in time is that, you know, as actors, we don't get to sit down and watch the final product. It's not the same for us having gone through it to sit down and watch it. So the enjoyment that I may have had, or you may have had, or anybody else sitting down watching this movie, the actors don't get. The actors only get the experience of filming it. Right. And so if that's the, you know, if that's what the actors get, then for Kurt Russell's money, it better be a fun experience. Yeah. It better be enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Because if it's not enjoyable, then why bother? Right, right. Which is just a fascinating insight right there. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. Um... You know, so uh, they they actually had a an Egyptologist who was sh- just out of his PhD and his grants had run out and he was trying to figure out what to do and they hired him up for this show and he was the one that kind of helped them work through uh, and create the language and how it was mm. going to be spoken. Mm-hmm. And since Dean Devlin is a huge Star Trek fan, um, mm-hmm. he made sure that the language that they used was as real as they could possibly make it. Mm-hmm. And not just, you know, flibberty gibbet, not just, you know, gobbledygook. Yeah. It was yeah. like, you know, as best they could. They they were try they tried to keep their vowels consistent in, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And and such so they, they developed all of that stuff, which is, you know, nobody watching it is going to care. And yet those who are fans are going to find it just delightful. Mm-hmm. And when I hear this, I'm delighted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. so uh, the the, uh, the that uh, beast that they find that drags Daniel across, right? They had yes. uh, a giant Clydesdale in this costume, you know, this mm-hmm. giant mm-hmm. head that was over it, and and then you know all of this stuff to make it. But when the horses were in that costume, especially given the heat, they couldn't run. Uh-huh. And so yes. they made a miniature costume and put it on a dog. So every time you see the animal <laughs> running, it's a dog. And so they actually had little miniature uh, 
uh, dolls that that uh, you know had legs and arms and heads that moved around, and they yeah. tied that to the dog, and they filmed that for when uh, only uh, when uh, Jackson was being drugged by the creature. Oh, that's funny. You know, and and so like all of these things certainly added to just the delightfulness of this. Um, the woman who plays Shodri, um, she's actually from Israel. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm blanking on her name specifically off the top of my head. But her first scene that she shot, and she was like, like they were looking for her. They had already started filming. They were looking for this actress. They were looking. They were looking. They were looking. Like, what are we doing? we got to start filming her on Thursday, and it's Monday. What are we going to do? And they finally mm-hmm. got her in. Uh, and her first uh, uh, scene was when uh, they brought that roasted reptile to Daniel, and he pulls mm-hmm. it out, and he's like, "Oh, tastes like chicken," right. um, and and just these little little tidbits like this were just delightful to hear, mm-hmm. um, you know. And then you've got uh, the the uh, animatronics in the helmets that made Horus and Anubis uh, the the two main uh, guards. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you know, and it's like the actors couldn't emote with their faces. They could barely see anything. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. they had a, a control that allowed to let the 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 uh, feather-like things on the sides, you know, like rotate up and, and the beak moved and, and, and the eyes, the irises would, you know, open and close and mm-hmm. such. And so you could get uh, emotion out of those things, uh, at least to some degree. And mm-hmm. it was just delightful to hear. Um the set for when they exit the the uh, the, the the temple, just after they get out of the the uh, Stargate, mm-hmm. uh, that was like a seven story set. The first thing that they built uh, out in the desert, mm-hmm. um, and it's just huge. It's mammoth, and on uh, on screen, uh, it looks absolutely astounding because mm-hmm. it's not cheap. It's big, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and so, you know, and then uh, they literally had a model for the town and they blew uh, dirt and dust at it uh, to create the sandstorm that came into that. Mm-hmm. And then they, they enhanced it a little bit with some special effects and all that stuff. But, but that's, you know, because this is in 94 before CG was everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was just delightful to hear about all these things and to see it. Um, so I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed this watching of it. Um, you know, it's it's not the same characters. Uh, you know, no. it, it's it's not the same O'Neill. Uh, Jackson is pretty close, uh, especially oh, oh. early yes, Jackson. Yes, in that one. Yeah. Uh, early Jackson and you know uh, Michael Shanks definitely uh, drew on uh, James Spader's uh, uh, interpretation of this character early mm-hmm. on. Now it didn't take all that long, maybe a couple of seasons, probably at the end of season two, beginning of season three, when when he was finally able to cut his hair. Uh, you really start to see Michael Shanks put his own stamp on that character and it begins to develop beyond what we see in this movie Um, but even even still though like i was i was amazed at how consistent 
the portrayal of Jackson was through Shanks's tenure. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it, it, um, and what do I mean by that? Less, less, um, less like uh, Michael Shanks at the end was still acting like James Spader in the movie, but more like there were these these uh, idiosyncrasies that Spader brought to the role that Shanks was definitely like literally echoing at the beginning of SG one, like you were just saying. Yeah. But even we're still there, even in that guest performance that he did just a couple of episodes ago, um, with, uh, abyss. Thank you. With abyss. Yeah. I mean, I, like I, I was, I was marveling at how, how, I don't know. Not reliable is not the word. I'm, uh, and consistent, you know, it was consistent, and it was it was a marvel to me that it was so consistent. Yeah. Um. So you know, when I think about that, and then of course, uh, you have uh, Roz henchmen are Ra- uh, Anubis and Horus. Yeah. Um. And and of course, both of those characters, um, are Guauld in their own right in the television series and yes. whatnot. So, um. So I want to get to my theory, and before I do that, um, <laughs> um, you know, so I asked the people on Facebook to toss out thoughts and what they had. Uh, sure. Nick invites us to, you know, look at the the uh, continuity changes between the movie and the series, right? Uh, the movie is darker. It is. It's a decidedly darker. It's not as... Um, uh, there, there is actually a little bit less hope in the movie than there is in the TV series. I think, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the series is able then because it's a series able to get into uh, deeper and more real issues. Oh yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Samantha invites us to look at how Jack and Daniel are portrayed differently or similarly. Uh, you know, and in that regard, the O'Neill that Kurt Russell brings to the table is, in my opinion, a completely different O'Neill than the the uh, than than what Richard Dean Anderson brings to the table. Yes. Uh, even yes. if Absolutely. Richard Dean Anderson was in that moment when his son had just killed himself and was depressed and was thinking about suicide and all of his stuff, I think it still would have come off very very different than what. Uh, than what Kurt Russell did. Uh, I'm not at this point in time uh, marking one as intrinsically better than the other. They're just going to be different. Mm -hmm. Um, And we mentioned before that Shanks' performance of Daniel Jackson really does draw heavily on uh, James Spader. And, Mm -hmm. And certainly he develops his own element to that character and it becomes his own and he becomes Daniel Jackson and all that stuff. But uh, uh, there is a greater consistency there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, Adrian wants to point out that uh, he loved the first half of the movie as they were setting everything up and the mystery and all of that stuff. And then once they got mm-hmm. to Abydos, it kind of was like, yeah, bang, bang, action flick, bang, bang, rebellion, a little bit too fast, too easy, yep. all of that yep. stuff. Um, oh, and, you know, when the rebellions come, there's, like, two soldiers on the ground for the bad guys. And yes. after they're defeated, Ra's like, oh, I'm out, and it leaves, right? So I mean, it really did give us the impression that there was an army of children, there was Ra, and then there was Horus and and um, Apophis, and that was it. Anubis. 
Anubis. Horus and, 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 and now they did have some other Horus and Anubis guards, uh, but they were, you know, there might have been like eight or ten total tops. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, and I guess I'm I'm mistaking. Yeah, the people that were flying the gliders were. It was definitely not Anubis that was flying that glider. Yeah, definitely not. That was one of the Horus guards. Yes. Yeah. Um. You know, so I get that David uh, wants to talk about how um, was Ra's former host in Asgard? Is that what was going on? Mm, um, right. And you could make that argument. Um, and what he suggests, let me read what he says. He says, uh, there's a scene at the beginning showing the dying Ra as what looks like a gray alien who then mm-hmm. transfers to the human form whom we know as Ra. It's stated specifically in the old RPG that this was the Asgard Famrir, no snakes as they had not been invented yet, and the slightly different look uh, to the alien can be written off as the what the Asgard looked like 12,000 years ago. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I appreciate that, but then David goes on and I gotta, you know, when this all falls apart, when you look at the end, and when Ra dies, and you see it's it's the gray alien is revealed uh, when the bomb goes off and is disintegrated and all of that stuff. Yeah, is that supposed to imply that the gray alien was just, like, inside the skin of the human? Uh, you know, it is... I took it to be more artistic. I took it to be more, like, the essence of the gray alien was showing through... Yeah, it well, I don't know for sure. I mean, certainly they they treated it as something parasitic because they even mentioned that. Yes, that the, the, they said the word parasite. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. that Ra's race was a parasitic race. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't actually mention Guauld at this point no, in time, don't. right? Um, but uh, you know, there this does make you know uh, for interesting thought experiments. Uh, if Ra did try to inhabit a an Asgard and the Asgard um, don't take well to having a symbiote um, which is certainly plausible mm-hmm. uh, that would explain why they were dying out um, and it would also explain some of the the war that the Asgard and the Goa'uld were dealing with long time ago in a galaxy far far well our galaxy but you sure. know um, you know that makes that, that's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, uh, and I, you know, then the question is, where were all of the other Guawuld? Where was Ball? Where was Apophis? Uh, and so on and so forth. So I'm finding it interesting that, uh, though my enjoyment of this movie is diminished because of how it just doesn't fit with the show. However, I'm not like holding that against it necessarily. I'm just sitting here like, yeah, it's it's not the same. So, you know, it, it is what it is. And so I'm just going to think about it. Whereas your enjoyment of a movie is uh, very much in the moment. And you're like, look, is it going to be a fun ride or not? I'm finding it interesting about how much work is being put in trying to retcon this movie into the television show. As opposed to just being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the whatever. I mean, yeah, it's it's funny how it, it it's. It's it's enjoyable how it is the same, and it is enjoyable about how it is so different. Like, yep, they set the stage up for the television show, no question. Yep. But right, like the the implications of the movie 
we're making very strong inferences that are going in directions that are completely the other direction that the show ended up going in. Like word for word, the show was was matching it. That Ra's race, the, you know, Ra's unnamed race was a parasitic race that was uh, using human bodies as a very malleable, reliable way of achieving basic immortality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but everything else about that that implication is. Um, you know, more along the lines of like, yeah, like what looks to be an Asgard uh, uh, creature inhabiting the body of a human, which of course doesn't fit canon at all. Yeah, and I'm okay with just letting that go, being like, yeah, yeah, yeah don't, don't, let's not worry about that. So you know, on one level, I'm perfectly fine doing that, and then on the other, another level, I am really interested in in making them fit in some capacity. Sure. And this brings me to what I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the TV series, we have already seen alternate realities. We've seen Daniel being the nexus point, if you will, of and huh. in alternate realities. So here's the thing. is I think that the movie is an alternate reality oh. relative to the series. But there is a sufficient number of similarities that we can... Uh, recognize the movie at you know so like clearly Daniel Jackson and O'Neill uh, went to uh, Abydos and had an adventure and killed Ra and all of that stuff blah 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 yeah but what we see with James Spader and Kurt Russell is not a hundred percent what happened with RDA and Michael Shanks yeah um, here's a couple of things that in canon. Uh, will help me uh, prove that I'm right. One. <laughs> okay, go. Uh, O'Neill, Colonel O'Neill, played by Kurt Russell, is O'Neill with a single L. <gasps> no. Uh, uh, you know, Richard Dean Anderson's O'Neill is O'Neill, two L's. Yes. Okay. Um, if you noticed, uh, the Stargate was held and operated out of Creek. Mountain, not Cheyenne Mountain. Now, I did Julie, not notice that. Julie made but. a mention that, well, they could have moved it. I'm like, yeah, that's possible. But we also yes, hear RDA at the beginning of Children of the Gods say, yeah, I know, I've been here before. And while uh-huh. it is conceivable that they moved it from Creek Mountain to Cheyenne Mountain, blah, 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 all of that stuff, it's far more likely that what this is going on is. Um, you know, a different, uh, a different reality, and they just were in a different Ooh. mountain. Yes. Um, you know the the Jaffa, uh, such as they are, uh, yeah. were different. These Jaffa, uh, or the 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 guards that would be the Jaffa in the TV series, uh, don't have gold pouches. So, oh, you know what were they? Um, you know who knows. Um, you know, all of this stuff, uh, Shauri, uh, you know, in, in, in yep. the TV series, it's Share, S-H-A apostrophe yep. R-E, and in the movie, it's S-H-A apostrophe U-R-I. And part mm-hmm. of the reason that was changed is because Michael Shanks had a tough time saying Shauri. Uh, and so they yeah. just changed it to something he could say easier, Share. Yep. Um, yep. But... In my world, that's just another layer yes. that indicates that this is a different universe. 
I um, love this explanation. Also, I love it. Uh, Kowalski and Ferretti were yeah. jerks in the movie. Yes, they were. I mean, Kowalski kind of you know comes around at the end uh, a little bit and says, "Hey, thanks for getting us home." Um, yep. But uh, you know, the I mean, we don't ever see Ferretti much of anything in the TV series. A couple of times, and right. then in the first season, and of course, Kowalski dies in the first episode, basically. Um, yep. Uh, it, but we do see him come back in alternate reality form. Yes. But still. Um, so with, when you figure in all of these differences, the Gulawuld, uh, you know, the being, you know, Roswell grayish type of aliens, uh, a little bit different, but then, you know, all of that playing out is perfectly understandable and makes legitimate sense in universe if you recognize yep. that it is one of a multitude of universes and we are yep. actually in a slightly different one yes i love it so that is how i reconcile the two which then also allows runway for stories inside the kurt russell james spader universe Indeed, where there's, where there's, where there's, where where the Asgard are not the sworn enemy of the Gulawuld for television series reasons, but for movie reasons. That that Gulawuld very well may be a uh, subset of Asgard. Mm. That uh, uh, that uh, that the the subjugation of a world by. Uh, by the Gulawuld is a much more singular thing rather than this like you know jet-setting lifestyle uh, that uh, that seemed to be happening in the television series uh, you know within a, a, a network of Stargates. Now Obviously, that the- would be absolutely fascinating. Yeah, I mean, just think about this though for a moment. The the Asgard were are a reasonably benevolent race. Yep. that uh, took on the persona and names, or at least deposited their names within Norse mythology. Yes. So whether which one came first, we don't know for sure. Uh, probably the Asgard themselves, but then, you know, the aliens in uh, spirits, Zales and such, uh, were different aliens, and they took on the roles and personas and then ultimately right. the names of that. So it could, something could have happened there. With the Asgard. We know that the Asgard are a dying race already. Yes. Um, So what if a rogue group of Asgard uh, were experimenting not with cloning or at least a different means of things and creating, uh, you know, possession, if you will, for one lack Mm. of the humans um, Mm -hmm. to, to manifest and try to prolong their life that would take things in a completely different direction and because of your uh multiverse theory there's runway for that idea yeah um it's beautiful i love it there has been talk for several years about is stargate going to return either in a movie or in a new tv series and all this stuff and lots of people have lots of things to say um the idea with Dean Devlin and Roland Emmerich was that theoretically this would be a trilogy of movies and then, you know, we would see these characters again in another movie. Obviously, that never happened. 
I could see. Um, yeah. But, but uh, I can totally see how they might have tried to set that up. Sure. But also, at this point in time, they have been, you know, uh, Dean and Roland have been talking, or were talking at one point in time, of uh, rebooting the franchise and, and, and kind of going in that direction with things. And for me personally, mm-hmm. I have been um, not a proponent of that. As a general mm-hmm. rule, I would rather see us continue in the universe that we had already built and see what happens yes. next, whatever that yes. is, rather than simply rebooting and starting over yes. again. Yes, agreed, yes. All of that said, though, with this multiverse theory, um, it makes me feel better about the idea of some form of reboot, yeah, I thought that Star Trek, um, for as much uh, grief as the Kelvin universe gets, I think that that's actually a pretty elegant way. If you insist on telling, if you insist on telling stories with the same characters over and over again, right? Then um, having a reboot contained in universe through the existence of multiverses, I think, is an elegant way to continue to have. The ability to tell those types of stories. I'm with you, though, Zach. I would much rather be learning more about the society as it continues, rather than 15 different flavors of how it started. Right. Um, you know, but I, I'm not interested in a reboot. I'm I'm interested in more story. And uh, I get the feeling that Star Trek Discovery is a bit of a thing where people are really either real they really like it or they really hate it. I'm in the really li- like it camp. Um, seasons one and two did did a thing. Season three, I felt, you know, I'm speaking in code because, Zach, I'm pretty sure you haven't seen it yet. I have um, not. Uh, season three has done something with the story that I think they wanted to do from the start. As in the show creators, I think, wanted the show to be where it is now in season three. Because so much about it just made so much more sense when we got once we got into season three. Mm. But to the point, it's in the Prime Universe and it's continuing the story. Like, there is... Uh, there is more Prime Universe story being created, and I like it. Yeah. Like, that's, what, that's what I want. Cool. So, you know, Discovery, I've, I've seen like the first half of the first season, and mm-hmm. that is a series that, especially hearing you say what you have said, uh, makes me want to finally somehow sit down and watch it. Yeah. I'm not quite willing to pay for CBS All Access or whatever they changed their name to at this Paramount point. Plus. Paramount until Plus. Next, until next month, at which point they'll change it to something else. Yeah, well, whatever. Uh, exactly. You got to put your name out there and you got to put a plus on it. And then it's, yeah. the, it's, it's just right <laughs> as rain. Stargate Plus. Um, Walking through the Stargate Plus. Plus. <laughs> <laughs> I like second chances better. Second chances is better. Although, if we had to fall or fall into an alternate reality ourselves, then certainly oh. walking through Stargate Plus would be a thing. That, that would, that's right. Um, that's right. So, Paramount second chances. You know, you know, walking through the Stargate Plus <laughs> would actually be when David and somebody else listens oh, to yeah. our podcast yeah. and reviews and talks about our podcast. Oh, gosh. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. Oh, no, 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 no. That's getting too meta. That's getting... My brain is starting to break. Oh, good. Well, no, not good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Note, note that in that, that is... And I, I, I said David, you know, but whatever. Um, it's not me. 
I'm not going to do I'm not that. I'm not going to listen to our episodes and then review them. Not going to do it. No. Um, somebody else wants to do that. I, I I guess you can. Sure, go ahead. Cottage Cottage industries are weird things, man. Yeah, they yeah. they spring up for no good reason at all. Hey, so. there you go. Um, we do have a, a couple of other thoughts from uh, a couple of other listeners. Yeah, uh, Sean. Um, you know, may, we talked about uh, uh, the sound of the the uh, uh, wormhole closing in the series is the same as the Death Gliders. Uh, he gave a timestamp to that. I don't recall. Oh, I, I hadn't well, listened listen to that. You know, uh, he also made the comment that you did that uh, these. You know, like this is the only time we see creatures. Yeah. Beyond you know anywhere. Yeah. Um. It kind of struck uh, me when I saw it. I'm like, right, we haven't seen an alien, an alien animal ever anywhere. I mean, you know, we do see the odd bane-inducing bug. Oh, that's true. Um, you know, but... Maybe that's but, why I know, like Bane so much. No, I don't think that's why you like Bane so much. <laughs> Just introduce more more uh, fauna, and I'll be... Uh, I'll be fawning over it. Uh, yeah. Do you like that? Did you like what uh, I did there? No, I'm, I'm going to move on. <laughs> um, you know, did that Susan, joke bug you? Oh, uh, I am totally, definitely moving on. <laughs> I, can tell I mean, I, I mean, now, now, you know, the the internal person, you know, like 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 I like bad jokes mm-hmm. and dad jokes and mm-hmm. all of that stuff, and so that part of me is just dancing up and down and laughing and, and just having a hoot with it. Yes, and the other part of me. Uh, you know the the uh, podcast host in me uh, it, it, for the moment is like oh, Brent, don't get too wrapped up in it. It'll eat you out from the inside. <laughs> I'm just uh, just drinking uh, a beer now. I, I don't know uh, if you heard me crack it open, but uh, I've, I've oh, shifted I gears. That too. We 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 have more to go. So here we go. Yep. So now I am drinking a local beer, mm. a Kelowna classic. Oh. See what do I got here? I got the uh, I got the Urban Brew Labs Happy Blurst Day. Ooh, it's a Vienna style lager. It's delicious. This is a uh, uh, just a light lager. the 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 tagline for Kelowna is "Heavenly beers brewed by mere mortals." Oh, let's ah see. yes, Urban Brew Labs. Do they have a catchphrase? Mm. Yeah, they do. Here it is. It's government warning. According. Oh wait, no, that's not it. I almost spat my beer. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It doesn't look like it, but whatever. It doesn't matter. It's good stuff. Yeah. Um, so Susan um, mm-hmm. wanted to just, she made a note that uh, James Spader, science fiction, Egypt mytholo- mythology, Egyptian mythology were all the types of things that attracted her to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, she loved James Spader's portrayal of Jackson. Um and she thought that uh, 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 the TV series did an excellent job of adapting uh, this whole thing to the the TV instead of the, I you know, agree. the movie. Yeah. Um, and then she suggests that we uh, watch a. There's a relatively recent interview with Dean Devlin, uh, which he talks about uh, various things. Um, so, like, they were testing uh, the the film. And they tested it as just a straight action film, and they didn't have the backstories and all of that stuff, mm-hmm. and it tested very poorly. Mm-hmm. 
And then when they added the parts with the backstories of O'Neill and Jackson and all of that stuff, all of a sudden, people, you know, really enjoyed it. Oh, they really man, it. I can totally see that, especially with Kurt Russell's um, O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Like if it's just a if it's just a, a flat top jughead running around, which I get it, you know, jarheads are Marines and he's an Air Force, whatever. Um, you know, with absolutely no reason why he's just being a jerk face and willing to go on a suicide mission. Why? Why? Yep. Like that? Duh. And the same thing with um, Daniel Jackson. Like, you know, why would he agree to stay back on uh, the unnamed planet? Well, it's because he got kicked out of his apartment and, like, he has nothing left. Like, And he, there is the promise of something new in this place. Yes. Um, you know, he, he literally doesn't have anything particularly uh, on Earth to hold him there. Correct. Um, whereas O'Neill, at the end, uh, kind of has a new lease on life. Now, here's something that I hadn't thought about until just now. In Children of the Gods... Uh, yeah. Oh, also, side note, um, I forgot about Jackson's allergies. Oh, like, yeah. That was a thing. That was a gag in this first season, and it evaporated, which is fine. That's good, yes, too. Agreed. Because if he were sneezing all over the place for, you know, Six seasons. five seasons, yeah. it would have been just ridiculous. Yes, agreed. But in Children of the Gods, and uh, you might need to check me on my memory of the plot line, but... Uh, gate program starts up again and thing happens and they need I can't remember what was the deal um, they, they, do they reconnect with, with Abydos doesn't matter they, 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 they toss the um, Kleenex box in I think right with the note yep and the Kleenex box gets tossed back and that's how that's how Daniel Jackson comes on back but if I think about the events of the movie why would Jackson be at all interested in helping O'Neill? I mean, it's not like it's not like I'm saying that they were enemies at the end of the movie, but like you know, they they, they had they had this one experience. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was just you, you know, know a connection you, back there, home there or is something. something uh, I mean, by the end of the movie, there is a greater feeling of trust and camaraderie between them yeah true in, but in you're absolutely way. right mm. that uh, in a hollywood type of way 100 percent uh you are right that um if it were kurt russell talking to james spader after that um you know it would probably go that pro that, that would probably happen the same way mm. But I, I don't think it would be nearly as friendly. Um, ah, ah! But we can also bank shot this one off of your alternate universe theory. Hundred percent. Right. I was, you know, going there. Hundred yeah. percent. Um, you Where, know, so, yeah. so the real catch is that when O'Neill returns to Abydos in Children of the Gods, and you've got. Jackson and O'Neill talking to each other. They're like, "Hi, Jack. How you doing? Long time no see." Yeah, you know, and and they're chumming it up, right? And 
I'm not convinced that the movie versions yeah. of those characters would quite chum it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. But if what we, but what if, but in the television show, if what we are seeing is we have shifted our frame of reference from uh, movie universe to television universe, and in television universe, when O'Neill and Jackson had this adventure, they were able to develop a much more solid connection between the two of them. That when O'Neill came a calling for help. Jackson was like, you got it, dude. Yep. Yep. All right. So, Brent. Yes. One of the things that uh, we need to talk about is what we talked about this episode uh, almost three years ago. Oh, yeah. Wow. Uh, we we wow. published. Actually, it would have been close to three years ago because we published this on August 13, 2018. And if you recall, we had recorded like three yeah. episodes yeah. prior to that. So we dumped all of those up at the same time. Yes. And so this one, we it would have been it was sometime uh, in July, early July. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the, the, so it's almost wow. exactly three years ago. That's amazing. Uh, Holy cow. So, yeah. I was just talking to somebody about this podcast and how we've been doing it. And I'm like, they're like, when did you start? And I'm like, uh, like 2008, three years, yeah. three years ago. Yep. Goodness. Yep. Wow. Good stuff. So, you said you liked the retcon of aliens in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the visuals, the sarcophagus, and all of that stuff. That that uh, the way they they Hollywoodized the Egypt and all of that yep. stuff, and the mm-hmm. aliens was fun. Um. Uh, you liked how this was the springboard that spawned so much future story. I think you could uh, recognize the potential of storytelling to be to be had here. Yep. Um, here's a side note. Um, we have to, and I'm surprised that they didn't make this assumption. Uh, because if the Stargate only went to Abydos... Mm-hmm. And back. Mm-hmm. Once the Earth people buried their gate, why would the Abydosians or Ra bother to keep it open again? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I yes, I completely agree. It makes it way more sense. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, unless it, there is something else that they do. Yeah, it, it makes more sense the, the way that the television show sets the thing up than how the movie implied that it was just only there was one gate on one side and one gate on the other. Right. Um yeah, by a long shot. Uh so things that you disliked, you didn't think all of the effects held up. Mm, true. Um you know, I, they would certainly be done differently today, but I think that they are very respectable effects for 94. Yeah, agreed. I mean, they were mostly practical effects. Uh, interestingly, when I was watching it this time, I didn't have any problem with the effects. Yeah. Uh, the the uh, culture doesn't hold up. Bygone era. I'm not quite certain what you meant by uh, that. It was all the smoking. It was pretty funny. Oh, yeah. 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 Yeah, that, that you know, is interesting. Like, I noticed it this time around, and I'm like, oh, smoking all over the place. But yep. it didn't Actually, for whatever reason, it didn't bother me as much this time around as it did when we watched this three years ago. And I don't know why. Well, this time around, I was watching it with a mental framework of knowing about five and a bit seasons worth of the television show, too. 
when when we started our project i mean frankly when we started our project i was just trying to find things to say and so i was um i was vocalizing the things that were crossing my mind when watching the movie and mm. one of the things that was crossing my mind when watching the movie is holy moly are they, everybody's smoking like all the time and i'm like yeah it's the mid 90s like yep. um so in that respect like yeah that would probably be a comment that i would make because it's like yeah this is something that i'm noticing this time around i'm i'm right there with you yeah i did notice that like you know the, the conference room was just full of smoke um but i was much more interested in watching this movie against the information that I know about the Stargate universe as a result of the television show. So sure. smoking was like, yeah, whatever. Um, watching, uh, you know, watching the little tracker doohickey move on the plexiglass screen and having somebody go, it's across the known universe was much more delightfully like, you know, like, no, it's not. It's right next door. Um, <laughs> ah, but if it was an alternate reality, exactly. it could have been. Exactly. And I'm going to have to do so much editing with this. I, I'm like bumping into my mic like every five seconds. <laughs> thump, you know, I'm, I'm actually doing a pretty good job of not bumping in yeah, my like, mic. Uh, when we recorded our podcast um, on the other guys, I don't know if you noticed this as you were editing it. There was one spot that I bumped the mic as I was talking. And I'm like, oh, I, I um, if I if I noticed it, I recognized that there was no editing it out. So. There, there it stood. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, your quote that Julie pulled out from oh, yeah. our first watch is a rollicking good time. A rollicking good time. Wow. Do I write for the Sun Times or something? Come on. Uh, you know, clearly, <laughs> clearly you do. Um, and then she made a note that, uh, like, she tries to, like, when we've done these second chances in the past. She's yeah. done that for you and done that for me. And she's like, "Yeah, you didn't actually say anything, Zach." Oh, really? I mean, everything I did was, apparently, because I didn't actually listen to it, was just kind of respond and comment on what you were commenting on. Oh. And so I didn't really have a whole lot that I apparently brought specifically to the table. Yeah, because wasn't that our, wasn't that kind of our original idea? I mean, uh, you got to keep in mind, we found our footing after doing several episodes. It Yes. Um, I don't remember what our original idea was, but I do know that uh, (laughs) at this point in time, so at this point in time, our idea was, hey, Brent, let's do a podcast about Stargate. Okay. Yeah. I know podcasts. I know Stargate. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So actually, I do remember that we had never had a conversation about how we would structure things. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm like, well, okay, let's do a little bit of, you know, prep stuff and then I'll give a synopsis and then we'll just talk about things. And you're like, so I'll just like toss out some things I like and didn't like and mess stuff. And then you can do the same. And, and it certainly evolved. Oh yeah. But, uh, but, uh, we never sat down at any point in time and said, okay, so let's have a three act podcast that does this (laughs) and then that. Act one. Certainly didn't have chapter markers back then. No, we certainly didn't. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Fortunately, it was a 45-minute. So we've yeah. already talked about this for a lot longer. For, well, we have more to say. But also, That's true. Like, we've, got, we've got all the context of story. That, yeah. And also, we just like... And we've been drinking. That's true. Yeah. Although, you know, 
we've been drinking. Yeah, I'm doing great. There you go. I'm doing fine. Mm -hmm. All right. So, I think, Brent, Mm -hmm. that what we do as we review uh, again these various episodes or movies in this case, um, it's it's worth noting. A new Naquita rating? Yeah. So, you gave. Uh, I said, give me a rating out of five, and you can decide what the scale was. And you said a Naquita rating. And I don't remember exactly when it was. It was probably in uh, episode one, because this was actually originally episode zero. Yeah. Uh, that I'm like, oh, let's do Chevrons, um, which is way better. And so yes. I'm going to invite you to not do Naquita. No. Uh, but, but to do give Chevrons? me your Chevron rating. It's also worth noting... Oh, and Julie wanted me to make note of this, is that you yeah. broke your rule oh, on I gave half it a half ratings. rating? Uh-huh. Let me guess. I gave it a, No, I'm not going to guess what I gave it before. All right. So what did I feel about this time? So out of seven. Out of seven. Yes. Okay. So here's the deal, though. This is like a found... Oh, I'm assuming it's my turn to talk about how what uh, how many chevrons I gave it? Yes. Go for it. Okay. Okay. Fine. Fine. Okay. Um. You can't bag on this movie too hard. It is the brain child. No, it's the genesis. It's the progenitor. There's the word I'm looking for. Ooh, progenitor. It's the progenitor of the Stargate television story franchise, right? This is the granddaddy of them all. Mm-hmm. You can't sit here and be like, uh, because they didn't, they were not consistent with the distance between the unnamed planet later to be named Abydos and the Earth. I cannot, by any stretch of the imagination, with any good conscience, give it anything that is good because it is logically inconsistent. No, I'm not going to do that. Now, I like the voice, by the way. Oh, well, thank you, thank you very much. Um, was this a good movie? No, no, it really wasn't. Was this a fun movie? Yeah, yeah, it's fun. Is this movie important in the Stargate universe? Duh. Yes. Obviously. So, what's the rewatchability? Middling. I'm going to go with middling rewatchability. Um, so, all in, I'm going to give it a 5 out of 7 chevrons. Like, there's the possibility that this movie could have been tooled up in a different way to have just been just face-meltingly awesome. And it wasn't, and that's no grave sin. Um, And if it didn't spawn a television show, I probably would be more critical of it. But it did, and it's a great one. And we're and we get it, it creates the opportunity for you and I to have conversations regularly about some really interesting conversations, so you can't hate on it too much. Five out of seven for me. All right, cool. How about you, Zach? So, um, I think this movie is a little more watchable than you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I do remember watching this back in the mid '90s and just having fun with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it hadn't been for that having fun with it, I wouldn't have bothered watching. Uh, Children of the God with some friends when we were in uh, uh, college. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, and obviously I've seen it many times. I think I have at least three 
different versions of this movie on DVD or Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those DVD copies is actually a side A and a side B Blu-ray or DVD, mm. where I have to put it in on one side and then halfway through flip it over. Wow, that's going back in time. I suppose it's possible that one of them is widescreen and one of them was full yeah, screen. Yeah, I think that might make more sense. That could have been it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that disc has died. It doesn't okay. work anymore, <laughs> and I don't matter. think it's even in the house anymore. <laughs> but I have gotten another DVD, and and this time around, I watched the Blu-ray, and mm-hmm. I probably watched the Blu-ray three years ago, but I don't remember specifically. Um, so this is a movie that I'm happy to rewatch. On occasion, mm-hmm. uh, I am more happy to watch the series than the movie. Yeah, um, and you know, rarely when I'd say, "Hey, let's watch Stargate SG One from the beginning," did I say, "Let's start with the movie." I just started with Episode One and then went from there. Mm-hmm. But all this is to say, um, as I think about this and think about this as an alternate reality mm. that is similar but not the same mm-hmm. as. Um, then I, I don't know for, for whatever reason for me that bumps it up a bit yeah uh, I can see that yeah and so when it's all said and done I'm going to give this 5.5 oh. chevrons <laughs> um, always coming through with a half rating <laughs> you know not always um, but uh, I, I don't think that I want to go all the way to a six. I could, but I'm not going to. Yeah. I'm going to stick with my five and a half. Yep. Um, it's not a seven uh, no, by any stretch of the imagination. No, no. But uh, but I'll go with a five and a half. Uh, incidentally, mm-hmm. uh, when we were uh, figuring this out on uh, our five-point Nakwita scale, <laughs> uh, we both gave it a 3.5 out of five Nakwita. And when I did some math way back when, that translates to a five and a half for each of us. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you going to a five, insisting on not doing half ratings. Um, That's keeping it. And, yeah, and yeah. me sticking with that five and a half, um, that fits. Yes, it sure does. And also, cool. it makes a degree of sense why I would go down a little bit uh, because I'm judging this against the content that comes after it which is probably not fair but i but there it is i I, that's what that's what's happening well you know and and i do that as well Mm -hmm. um i don't like the characters in the movie half as much as i like the characters in the tv series yep um i would happily watch richard dean anderson play colonel o'neill time and time again for Mm -hmm. you know seasons upon end yep um i would not be near as excited watching kurt russell's o'neill in the same way correct agreed so um so those are our thoughts folks on yeah. uh this movie and uh thanks very much for our patreon yes. supporters Thank for you. voting for this mm-hmm. um and then giving us this opportunity to do um, I'm, I'm glad that we had the opportunity because we've already talked for 30 minutes more than we did the first time around. <laughs> you know, we had, we, but, but that's not only our style, but um, we just like to fill up the airtime. That's what we like to do now. Yeah. Back then we were shy. Yeah. We didn't really know what we were doing. 
And we're like, okay, got to get away from the mic as fast as possible. <laughs> okay. Um, well, see you next time. Bye. Yeah, bye. Uh, so, so this is the point where after listening to our thoughts, uh, tell us what you think. Specifically, yes. I am really curious as to what you think about my idea that this is actually an alternate reality that. that is similar but distinct from yep. the reality we see in the TV series. Yep. Uh, you can do that by emailing us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. You can, of course, tell us on Twitter at Stargate Walking. You can go to uh, the Facebooks, Walking Through the Stargate Facebook uh, page and group. Um, now, I'm thinking about this, that, that uh, this is a conversation that uh, you, dear Patreon listeners, will get a chance to do. Uh, and those of you who are not Patreon listeners and are listening to this uh, sometime in the future, well, you can still do this. The future. You know, yeah, because uh, when it drops and, on the main feed, then the Facebooky people can have a conversation. But when we drop it on Patreon, all y'all can have a conversation on Patreon if you want. That is a true statement. That's a yep. great place to do this. Uh, you can also, of course, go to wtts.space. Space! Um, uh, probably the best place to have that conversation, though, would be the Patreon comments. Um, so that's walk patreon.com slash walking through the Stargate. All of that stuff. Yep. So You got it. All right. Well, I guess we're done, Brent. I think that's it. We've talked right. plenty about it. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> O'Neill, or, or, or Jackson looks at O'Neill at the very end and says, So, are you going to be okay? And O'Neill says, Yeah, I think I will. And then he turns and he walks to the Stargate. The end. The end. Oh, I forgot to talk about how uh, I was noticing the musical uh, similarities in the opening credits. Also, the the pan of uh, the, sorry, the 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 face masky thing. I didn't quite appreciate that when they did the title credit change. In season two and a half or three or four, whenever they did it, it was it was an homage, or was it like the same footage as that other? Whatever, I was like, there was.